Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where, if you believe Eddie Hearn, our king is back. Um, the gravy train rolls on, and Anthony Josh is now the best heavyweight on the planet again. Um, this is a strange episode, but they're all strange when you talk about Anthony Joshua because you don't want to be an extremist on one side or the other. There are, there'll be other channels that will do that. You probably listen to them already, or you're about to listen to them. There are other channels that will push one of the extreme narratives, agendas, whatever you want to call them. And so you try and go right. What's a sensible position to to maintain when it comes to Anthony Joshua? So let, let's let's start with let's start with the positives. One, that's the first time someone's been unable to answer the count to Anthony Joshua since God knows when. I have no idea when he he last put someone to the sword like that. So, him being a, a one punch one punch ice man, I'll take that where I can get it. Um, it, because it gives you hope that if he lets his hands go, he can still do damage. So, that's a tick in the kind of in the win column. He pulled together a galaxy of stars, and if you whether you like guys like Conor McGregor or not, it's actually irrelevant. Whether you like guys like KSI or not, it's actually irrelevant. It adds another another layer of sophistication and quality to the event. And let's be absolutely clear, of all the promoters we have in Europe right now, Eddie Hearn still delivers the best events when he's given raw materials to work with, right? That whole, that whole PR machine, they, 60% of the time they know what they're doing. Um, so you've got to give them credit. It wasn't... The fights didn't live up to what we wanted them to most in most situations, but the event looked like it was decent. Now, I was going back and forth online about this yesterday. I thought the arena looked about 60 to 70% full. We can talk about how many freebies were given away. I know there were plenty of amateur clubs that were given tickets. I know that sponsors were given free tickets. Um, the, the blue and red light brigade were given tickets. They were handing out a lot of free tickets because a lot of people asked for their money back. The good thing about the pandemic has actually been you can cancel hotels with a decent amount of notice. So people were like, let me save as much money as I can. Which they're entitled to do, and that's good. But that arena was definitely full of people who have a tangential connection to boxing. You can tell just by the, the energy in there. You know? I guess that's why the boos weren't so loud because people didn't know what they should be booing and what they shouldn't be booing. But the biggest positive now should be that all of this new trainer, learning fights, whatever, should stop. Right? We can park that now. If you're talking about fighting Wilder in January, park everything else now. Now it's two men fighting. Um, if Fury's in that mix, he's in that mix. At, at this point, as I've said, I, I still maintain the biggest heavyweight fight has been for the last eight years still is, always will be Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. But there's a, a massive but. Yeah. In big, bold, bright letters. But. Anthony Joshua did to Robert Hellenius what Gerald Washington did to Robert Hellenius, maybe around earlier. But the Hellenius that Joshua fought is not as good as the Hellenius Washington fought. And we saw how how poor Washington was, you know, when he fought Chisora. We saw how terrible he was, and so that should give you an indicate an indication of where we're at in this discussion. So I'm going to come back to this point. That was a hell of a knockout. He did what he was meant to do, and we'll, we'll touch on the technical aspects of it later. But we need to really set that scene. This time last week. Robert Hellenius was recovering from however long a training camp he needed to fight a policeman that had been boxing for two years in a castle in Finland in front of 1,500 people. That you're boxing a second-rate policeman in a castle in front of 1,500 people lets people know the level you're currently at. And if you go back to fight week, Hearn explained all these things about why other people weren't chosen to fight Anthony Joshua. And when you listened to Eddie Hearn, what you heard him say was, you guys started off at level 9 or 10 in terms of opponents. We wanted to be at level 3. 
And so we've had to eliminate all these people and give you semi-logical reasons why we could get to a 3 out of 10 opponent. So they get Hellenius. Hellenius isn't known for being durable. He's not known for being tough. He's not known for, for anything other than being a big guy from Finland. Think about it. You're a big guy from Finland and you never did World's Strongest Man. And like that's one of their sports, like Yuka Ahola and all those sorts of guys. Sorry, Riku. Um, you didn't even do that. You do none of the other sports. You didn't play basketball. You didn't play football. You boxed in Finland. Jimmy, that's like playing lacrosse in the UK. It kind of paints you as a certain character. But let's let's just break down the practicalities of Robert Helania. So last Saturday he fights. And if we believe the story, he's then offered the Joshua fight. So he's got to go home and explain to his wife that we're about to make a ton of money. Yeah, so whatever holiday we had planned, we were going to go to Lapland, we're off to Las Vegas as a family. Sweet. So Hellenius has to now, from that point there, sleep, because bear in mind, he's still been in a fight, so he's got to sleep and recover. So you're like, he doesn't get to, to think about Joshua, really, because it's domestic duties and stuff, until Monday. He gets to the UK. Probably Monday, Tuesday, I can't remember. He's then thrust into probably the most stressful environment he's ever been in. And he's having to manage all of this. Hadn't planned on being in the UK. He's had to deal with loads of stuff that Joshua takes for granted. Hellenius hasn't had to deal with this. So his stress levels, his cortisol responses will be through the roof. This is where Hellenius is at. He, he probably hasn't emotionally or physically recovered from Saturday yet. And then he's still got to fight Joshua in a few days' time. And if you didn't believe Hellenius wasn't up to it, then you'll believe it now. Because now when you look at that performance, you're like, that was just a guy who came for a payday. He almost looked annoyed that the fight had gone that long. Like, he was clowning Joshua points in that fight, almost like goading him, like, mate, like, I'm not here for overtime. Like, just, just get it done. Ideally with a body shot so I can go back to my family and get on holiday. Hellenius genuinely looked like he was on the beach already. So he's been through all of that. There's no way that that Hellenius is a prime physical specimen. And then we need to go back to this time last year or maybe just a bit further. When, I, when Eddie Hearn was talking about Wilder versus Hellenius. And he was happy to bury Hellenius then. I'm sure there's an interview, if I'm wrong on this, pull me up on this, but I'm sure there's an interview where Hearn goes, can you imagine Anthony Joshua fighting Robert Hellenius? What would, what would the boxing fans say? Well, there you go. That's Robert Hellenius, right? A guy who got a lucky decision against Jasor, a guy that White couldn't stop. That is Robert Hellenius. Robert Hellenius is... A guy that I would expect Solly Dakers to deal with. That's Robert Hellenius. So when you look at what Anthony Joshua did, you can't give him a high mark out of 10. That's a 4 out of 10. And it's not lower because he got uh, a highlight reel knockout. But Wilder did it all in one round. Not only did Wilder do it in one round, Wilder gave him a more devastating knockout, had him flat on his back, sleeping. Off a punch that he never even extended. He just turned his hips into that shot. And that's what's going to be giving Joshua nightmares right now, is the fact that Wilder wasn't even trying when he put, when he put Hellenis to sleep. But here's the interesting subplot. Hellenius and Wilder are friends. Hellenius will just ring Wilder up and say, mate, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Here's how you can get to him. Yeah. Yeah. I could have done it. I just couldn't be bothered with the rematch. So, I mean, I'm going to hand him over to you. Still soft. You know, thank me later. So this fight brings, brings to the head... 
a discussion we've been having for a long time in boxing. Are you advantaged by having fought recently or disadvantaged by having fought recently? And I guess it depends on what Eddie Hearn's agenda is at any given point. So do you remember after uh, do you remember after AJ had fought Usyk and Fury said we can fight at the end of the year and Hearn said it's not enough time. That's what he said. He said it's not enough time. And what Fury said was no, no, he's just had a fight. He's match fit. He only needs a couple of weeks to recover. He'll still be fit enough. He doesn't need a long camp. We can fight. Hearn was like, no, you know, this, that, wouldn't be, that wouldn't be fair. It's unprofessional. And then when Hellenius is announced, the same Hearn will say, well, he did say, well, he's only just had a fight, so he's in shape. He's ready. He's good to go. And you're like, well, what is it? Do you need, do you need a camp to prepare for someone? Again, once again, it depends on what side of the fence you're on. So, we're talking about, well, Hellenius took the fight at a week's notice, and people are like, well, he hasn't even had a camp for Anthony Joshua. Ah, oh, he only need one here. He, he's match fit. And then you say, okay, so why doesn't, why doesn't AJ fight Hergovic? Oh, he hasn't had time to prepare for Hergovic. You know, he's been in camp to deal with Dillian White. It wouldn't be fair for him to fight Hergovic. Why can't he fight Dempsey McKean? Ah, oh, he hasn't been in camp to fight Southpaw. So that wouldn't be fair. He hasn't been in camp to fight six foot seven Southpaw. But in your back in my mind, I'm like, you fought a Southpaw twice, two fights in a row. How much more Southpaw training do you need? You've had over a year to prepare for Southpaws. And it's Dempsey McKean. Gerald Washington. Ah, uh, the British fans, I know who he is. And Joshua hasn't had a chance to prepare for him. All of that stuff. Yet they still ignored guys like Michael Hunter. Michael Hunter would have fought him. And Joshua should be prepared for Michael Hunter because he was in camp with him. So, once again, I'm not telling you what's right and I'm not telling you what's wrong. What I'm telling you is different rules apply depending on what Eddie Hearn wants you to believe. This is why I say to you, stop listening to the guy. You can make your own mind up on which side is the right side. I'm not saying there's a right answer. What I'm saying is you can't believe both are true. We can't be here talking about the Hellenius win as a serious win when Hellenius had no time to prepare for this. Would we have had a different Hellenius had he had time to prepare? Don't know. But you can't say that he, need, he didn't need preparation time when you're telling us Joshua needed preparation time for someone like Hergovic. And Hergovic is a relative novice compared to Anthony Joshua. The two don't add up. And so that proves to be the problem with all of this. When you're trying to measure... How good a performance this is. You've been fed so much rubbish you don't know what's true. So it's best to just simplify this. Go back to the weigh-in. And look at Anthony Joshua. He goes, he goes head-to-head with Hellenius. Hellenius doesn't do anything, by the way. Hellenius does what you're meant to do in a stare-down. And he looks at Anthony Joshua. And at that point, what Joshua's meant to do is look and go, I am looking forward to fighting you. And what Joshua shows is a sense of panic. He shows that he's intimidated by Hellenius by then going, have you got a problem with me? Now go back to everything you've ever encountered in life. Name me one person you consider to be a genuine hard man who's ever done that. Who's ever said, have you got a problem with me? For no reason. Now go back to the people you remember at school that were bullies, that could only attack in groups, that could only attack people a lot smaller than them. What's the first thing they'll say to you? What are you looking at? You got a problem. What are you staring at? Because our insecurities will always leak out of us. Our fears will always leak out of us. All it ever needs is an immovable object in front of us. If you've ever seen it, um, I remember in my younger years doing the door and people would be like that. They'd, it would start off with, you need to let me back in. He went, nah, you're not going back in, mate. You're not getting back in. And then people would insist on getting back in and then they'd get emotional. Yeah. I'm going to call my friends. I'm going to call my uncle. I'm going to call my dad. And then you like, call them. And then there's nothing. Then they just stand on the pavements like, mate, you're blocking the entrance for everyone else. Then they do that passive-aggressive thing of, well, it's a free country, I can do what I want. 
And then eventually they say the wrong thing to the wrong person. And there's normally someone in the crowd who just chins them anyway. And then it's your problem solved. Joshua's that sort of guy. However you want to slice and dice it, Joshua's a bully. Joshua's a guy who, in the presence of other big, strong, tough men, would go missing. One day when he does get in the Hall of Fame, and I think they will put him in the Hall of Fame because there'll be a PR campaign and they'll talk about what he did for British boxing and he's an Olympic gold medalist and stuff. And I could get the argument, but he'd have to stand in a photograph of heavyweight world champions. And like I said, he could never stand in the middle. He's on the periphery because when those men get together, we look at, we look at guys like Bo and Holyfield and Lewis as hard, hard men. Ray Mercer, hard men. Razor, these are hard men before they're world champions. They are hard, hard men who went through a lot. And that's why guys like Klitschko uh, or Vladimir Klitschko and Joshua have to be on the periphery because they never went through that. But Joshua's character is to be that bully. And when Hellenius wasn't receptive to it, it balled over at the weigh-in. But Hellenius kept his own counsel. And he was smart because he knew the less energy he gave Joshua, the more erratic Joshua would be. And that seemed to be playing on AJ's mind. Like The demons were definitely there when it came to that ring walk. When you saw Joshua's ring walk, he looked like a man that didn't enjoy it. He looked like a man that didn't enjoy it. And whenever I watch an AJ ring walk, I always go back to the David Hay ring walks. And David, like he'd always look like this is what he... He wanted. You can't imagine David Hay boxing in front of 300 people. Like, I don't think that would get the best out of him. But when he stands in front of that O2 and he can hear the crowd, it lifts him. I think it shrinks Joshua. I think Joshua would be the best boxer if no one watched. If you had a tournament and there was no crowd, no nothing, it was just eight heavyweights, I think Joshua would do better. I think, I think Joshua's one of those guys who's great in the gym. And then fight night, it all goes to shit. Because he was walking down to that ring and he looked tense and he looked, he looked like if you could have offered him a way out at that point, he would have taken it. He just looked nervous. Um, am I going to make comment on him coming out to, to the Godfather theme? <laughs> I don't know what his obsession with being a gangster is. Like, you told us you got scared when you went to Reading Young Offenders Institute. Like, you didn't go to Belmarsh, mate. You weren't at Belmarsh. I mean, you didn't do strange ways. Like, you didn't do Armley. I mean, you didn't do Donny Jail. You didn't. They, they, you did Reading Young Offenders Institute. And you only did Induction Wing. We've checked. You did induction. You weren't even Gen Pop. And that scared you. So you coming up to the Godfather theme, I know you want to play fantasies and project that to the public, but we know who you really are. You've had 20-something times to show us. And we've seen it. So Joshua just looked... He looked frazzled. He looked like he was in over his head. And almost like he just doesn't enjoy it anymore. And you can understand that, but <laughs> people are paying a lot of money to keep the stories about Anthony Joshua suppressed. This is why he probably keeps boxing, because the minute AJ stops boxing and these stories come out, because then the media are like, well, if he ain't boxing anymore, how are we going to make money off Anthony Joshua? Those stories will come out. So he has to keep fighting. He has to keep giving people stuff in exchange for suppressing the stories. And people know what those stories are. We don't say too much, but I have a rough idea what a lot of them are. But like I said, this is a pod that's about boxing. So I try not to drift into that tabloidy gossip side. So yeah, so ring entrances, just the guy looked like he, he looked like he learned to box last year, which was sad to see because there were times when Joshua used to love those entrances. So let's talk about the fight. What do we see? First two or three rounds, I'd say Joshua was just shadow boxing. It was the strangest thing I've seen anybody do. It's um, 
Let me go back to when I was younger. This is one of my favorite stories. Like I remember me and my mates, we would have been about A-level age, right? And we were, we were ne'er-do-wells, troublemakers, whatever you want to call it. So we'd go out on a Friday, payday Friday, and just cause havoc. And whatever happened, happened. Now, one of my friends got into it with this guy. And this guy's like, I'm going to get my mate. You know, my mate knows karate. I'm like, go get your friend. So he goes and gets his pals. He comes back, right? And we're, still, we're like, well, what's happening? And I remember seeing a guy. It looked like he was doing, what do they call them? Cutters. It looked like he was doing a cutter, yeah? Where you have to go through all the kind of karate or taekwondo moves in sequence. Like he's doing one of those. And you can see it at the periphery of your vision. And you're like, that guy's really doing cutters. So we think that's the guy. Like, oh, okay. Okay, he looks tasty. So it kicks off and stuff happens. And the summary is that was the guy we saw laid out. The karate guy was laid out. And we always talk about that story and just remember him doing the, the cutters, the warm up. And he and <laughs> Sorry. And that's basically what Joshua did for the first three rounds. It's almost like he, he, he took himself out of range and tried to intimidate Hellenius and go, look at all these new moves that Derek James has shown me. And Hellenius is like, mate, I've been boxing for a while. Like, you're not showing me anything new. And so when that doesn't work, you can see Joshua's confused now. And he's like, ah, this means I'm actually going to have to go forward and do some work. And so he does, look, I'm going to say this, right, because he got the stoppage win in the seventh round. What Joshua started to do was sort of peck away at the edges and go, what can I get away with? And he, once he saw he could get away with a little jab to the body, he was like, cool, okay, nothing's coming back. And then it was like, let me double jab him and see what happens. Okay, Whew, there's no danger here. Then it was a lead left hook. Let me take a little bit of a risk, see if he's sharp enough to catch me. Nope. So Joshua's gone through his inventory of things that get him scared. And when Hellenius hasn't tried to impose himself, Hellenius was kind of like this immovable object. He was just kind of there to say to Joshua, I'm not falling down. And so that, that always scares Joshua when someone's willing to stand up to him. So Joshua's just pecking at the periphery. Once he knew Hellenius wasn't going to do anything to him, once he knew Hellenius was... I'm going to say this, Hellenius just looked knackered in the whole fight. He looked like a guy who, who needed a holiday. Maybe his mind was on the beach already, but he looked knackered in that fight. But there were points in the fight where he was just kidding Joshua because he's confused. He's like, mate, I'm knackered. Like, I am genuinely knackered and you can't even mount a serious attack. That point where he was doing all the head movement, you know, like he, like he was Prince Nassim Hamid, all of that. And he's doing this in front of supposedly the biggest name in heavyweight boxing. But once Joshua got the confidence that Hellenius wasn't going to do anything to him, then you saw the bully Anthony Joshua start coming out. Where he was like, if I take all this fear I have and just throw it at him really quickly, maybe I can get out of here as fast as I can. And so that's what happens. And I'm, I haven't talked about any of the other fights, but I find it really interesting that um, Johnny Fisher got a stoppage in a similar manner. Uh, I'm going to say Hergovic kind of did as well. And it happened with, with Hellenius too. And I don't know why people train this in their fighters. This idea that you can separate your hands from your head and somehow that's going to stop you getting knocked out is weird to me. If you know you're up against the ropes in a terrible position, why you wouldn't just retreat into your shell and get your hands up over your head? Because in heavyweight boxing, body shots are rare, right? Just get your hands up. Get your hands up and close to your face. Why he didn't do that, I don't know. That's boxing 101. Like, like the most basic boxing coach would have taught you that. Why Hellenius genuinely thought at 39 years old he had the reflexes and the speed to pull his head back from Anthony Joshua, who's younger and... At every point in Hellenius' career, Joshua would have been a better athlete than he was. 
And so that's how he got stopped. It was the same with Harry Armstrong. Once Harry Armstrong started to separate his hands from his face, Johnny Fisher was always going to land that big right hand. Just learn to defend against that big right hand and you're 80% of the way there as a heavyweight. If you can catch that on the forearm, on the shoulder, you demoralize heavyweights because then they're like, ah, oh, there's a barrier to my big shot. I thought, felt it was the same with Hergovic as well with McKean. McKean was trying to be too slick. If you're not a slick heavyweight, which normally means you're under six foot four, don't try that stuff. You're, you're going to get knocked out. I found it interesting that it was three stoppages that came in a similar way. Now, if I was conspiratorial, I'd say, are these fights rigged? But I don't believe that. I just think too many variables in a boxing bout for it to be rigged in that way. Do you know what? It's easy to be hypercritical of Olua Femi. But when it comes to that knockout, I'm going to give Joshua real credit here because it was a smart knockout. Yeah, it was a smart knockout. I'm not saying Hellenius is good, but Hellenius is experienced enough that he can get himself in the positions he wants to be in. If you look at the sequence that leads up to that knockout, Joshua stops Hellenius going from left to right. He's not even throwing his jab at Hellenius's face. He's almost throwing it at Hellenius's right shoulder. So Hellenius can't step into that space. So he's corralling him with that jab to keep Hellenius going from right to left. That was a deliberate move by Joshua. You can see it. So he does it a couple of times to corral Hellenius going right to left and then gets him against the ropes, shoots down to the body and then comes over the top. Basic boxing, but it was that setup that I, I had to watch and go, pretty smart by Joshua. Like, for the first time in a long time, I think that's the first kind of intelligent boxing I've seen AJ do in ages man we're talking pre-Ruiz so respect to him for that like that was a that was a good sequence if if you didn't know who Hellenius was and you were just asked to judge what Joshua did then you'd say he did everything right there he ended up in the right position the line he took in throwing that right hand was fantastic the only thing Hellenius could have done in that situation would have been to block that shot with the left hand, come straight back with an uppercut. That would have been the only way he could have won that exchange. But Hellenius is 39 years old. You can see his balance wasn't where it should be. Same with Chisora. Um, the legs were gone. Age is so cruel to these once tough men. And the punch resistance had gone. And then that was him snoozing. You hope that he's okay. You hope that he's able to get on the plane and be with his family. So, I mean, you wish him all the best in that sense, but I'm going to give Joshua credit for, for how he stopped that fight because that was pretty clean. But prior to that, it was a mess. Like, he was in the corner debating with Derek James. Like, so why, is he, why is he leaning back? Like, why, why is Hellenius trying to protect himself? Why is he trying to box? Like, why is he not falling over? And Derek James, to, to his credit, kept him calm and said, no, stick to the jab. Although Joshua was trying to throw the right hand more than he was trying to throw the left. But as, as I've just described, it was that left jab and that ability to corral Hellenius into, into the channel for the right hand that was the game changer. And you have to respect that. That was a, yeah. If, if, if we get that from Anthony Joshua on a more consistent basis, we get a better Anthony Joshua. I'm not going to say he's gonna, he'll be elite, but we get a better Anthony Joshua. But we need that from the beginning. Because here's what people aren't talking about, and this annoys me. Anthony Joshua is a premium product in boxing. You're paying more for ringside seats. You're paying more for outer ringside seats. You're paying more for sponsorship opportunities. You're paying more to broadcast Anthony Joshua. You're paying more in a pay-per-view fee for Anthony Joshua. He hasn't got the freedom to warm up. We haven't paid for him to be shadow boxing in a main event. I don't care what he says. He can't say that. Because we're always being marketed. I mean, Hearn is always throwing Anthony Joshua as this devastating boxer. Not slick, not skillful, devastating boxer. That's what we've been sold for a long time. That's what we're paying extra for, if we're all being brutally honest. We're paying extra for that. Yeah? Action. And he's delivered that. He delivered that with Klitschko. He delivered that with Ruiz. 
Well, Ruiz won. He delivered that with Usyk too. But they were all guys that forced him to fight. And that's all we're saying when it comes to matching Anthony Joshua. Put him in the ring with people who are going to force him to fight. Stop cherry-picking opponents knowing that they're going to give him an easy ride like Jermaine Franklin, like Robert Hellenius. That's not what we want. We want guys who are going to set about Joshua. Then we're going to find out what Derek James has taught him. Because all of this changing trainer stuff is it's a red herring, guys. Right? Do you remember when Fowler went from... Uh, Dave Caldwell to Shane McGuigan and people were trying to talk about the improvements Fowler had made and then you're like but he hasn't fought Fitzgerald again so show us, show us what improvements he's made against the guy that forced him to leave his last trainer then we'll see what the differences are now and that's the same with Derek James Joshua has to get in with the guys of a caliber of a new sick for us to understand what changes he's made you can't be trying to Convince me with Hellenius and Jermaine Franklin that Derek James has worked wonders on Joshua because that's just clowning. That's ridiculous. So we need to see AJ in with guys who will hit back. I still don't think his next fight is Wilder. Because I don't think Wilder's going into January having not fought for a calendar year. I, I don't see that. Uh, so then it's like, who, who will Wilder fight? No idea. But... That fight won't happen. If it were to happen, March, April at the earliest. But then the problem with sort of March time is you're getting into Ramadan season. So I don't think it happens in Jan. I don't think it happens in Feb. And then you're into Ramadan season. I, I genuinely think if you're talking a big fight in Saudi, you're talking May next year, realistically speaking. Because what's also going to happen now, we're going to have those direct comp comparisons between Joshua and Wilder. And here's one sense I want us to be balanced about how we look at this Joshua performance. Go back and look at how many times Wilder got criticized, losing rounds against Ortiz in both fights, put him to sleep. Um, losing rounds against Spilker, put him to sleep. So it's not like Wilder racks up rounds as a heavyweight. He doesn't. He's mostly behind on the scorecards when he stops people. But the difference between him and Joshua is... You get the impression Wilder wants to make the fight. He just hasn't got the tools. But you get the impression with Joshua, he has got the tools. He just doesn't want to make the fight. That's the difference between those two. But you have to be balanced and say, there are many times when Wilder hasn't really thrown a shot in anger for like four or five rounds, and then someone's just sleeping. And that's what we've enjoyed about his career, is the fact that people get put down. No matter what round it is, he's put people down. He put Fury down in the 12th round, for God's sake. But one thing I don't want to ever discuss is people saying, if Joshua hit Wilder with the punch, he hit Hellenius with, Wilder wouldn't get up. Yes, he would. We've seen Wilder try and get up from everything, by the way. Like, that's a, that, he's the definition of a dog in a fight. That is the guy, Deontay Wilder. So let's put some respect on his name, please. But let's wrap up by just looking at the aftermath, man. We really all need to have a serious word with Tony Bellew because there's delusion in this delusion. I've never seen co commentary that biased. Um, some of the stuff that was coming out was ridiculous. Um, this Obviously, the story of Joshua still learning on the job. And then after the fight, Hearn's like, this is a mature heavyweight. You know, he, he's going to feel his way into a fight. Although it's hilarious. So do you really need to feel your way into a fight? Um, what was the one he was saying? The, the one that he said, and this is the more sinister one, was he was like, I think AJ's carrying Hellenius. Now, remember, when you say someone's carrying their opponent, you're really alluding to fight fixing. We forget that a lot. That's fight fixing. That is, um, you know, this fight should have been over, but he extended it deliberately. Why? Have people got bets? Who knows? But I thought that was pretty loose. Um, and I like Andy Lee correcting him, going, nah, I don't think he is. I just don't think he knows what he's doing here. You know, Bellew's always trying to find ways. Ah, you know, he needs the rounds. He's still working on stuff with Derek James. Like he's not working on anything. What is it he was working on? Nothing. But Bellew is so wedded to that script. He's so, his success is so closely correlated to Eddie Hearn's success that he dare not upset the machine. Remember they used to call Nelson Company Man. I don't see people calling Bellew Company Man. I don't see Bellew getting the same stick that Johnny Nelson did, which I don't understand, by the way. Because as it turned out, 
once Johnny Nelson left Matchroom or their, their influence, man, he's become one of the best pundits in boxing, which shows you that, I mean, he was under orders. And I imagine Bellew's under orders here as well. At least Andy Lee had the integrity to go, I don't like what I'm seeing here. This has been poor. So credit to Andy Lee for, for calling what he saw. And I think you're seeing a bit more of that. I'm sure Costello was, was equally negative as well because they're people who know what Hellenius is. Yeah, remember they're around that fight week. They hear stuff. They hear that Joshua wanted a soft touch, and they're like, "Well, they gave him a soft touch, and he's making hard work of it." And then you, the post-fight presser, and you can see that there's definitely an attitude. Yeah, we should should we talk about the booze, right? Because that was the first time I've I've heard Joshua booed that loudly. And so when the booze first started. Remember, they were quite loud. And then someone in the editing suite tuned them down. And I imagine when they do the rerun on the zone, those boos will be quietened down even more. And you could hear them because the crowd wasn't that full. Like I said, I, if, if, if the O2 was two-thirds full, then I'd be impressed with that. But those boos rang loud because everyone knew what they were seeing. They were seeing a guy in Hellenius who wasn't doing anything and they're seeing their hero and their monster, the, the icon of Matchroom FC, scared to let his hands go. He only did it once he knew it was safe to do so. We don't like our heavyweights that way. We like our heavyweights to boot through the door and say, I'm here. I'm here to dominate. And at no point in that fight did Joshua try and dominate. At no point in that fight did he have Hellenius intimidated. Hellenius got knocked out for making a mistake. A mistake that Joshua goaded him into by mistake nonetheless but if you saw that reaction from Joshua when he just jumped straight out the ring he will give you some kind of convoluted story after that I genuinely feel he'd wanted to run out that ring from the minute he walked in and all you saw at the end of that fight was relief if you if you run the the knockout slowly and look at Joshua's face when Hellenius is snoozing he looks so relieved he's it's not even like I love that. It was just, oh, thank God for that. Jump straight out the ring. Um, he does the, the forged Irish stout with Conor McGregor. I don't know if that was just sponsor's commitment. I, I was wondering how warm was that? Was it ice cold? It, it, looked, it looked like the same one McGregor had been swigging around. So I don't know <laughs> what was happening there. Secondly, I didn't know you were allowed to take alcohol into the O2 arena. But I've never tried. So I, I'd imagine you can't do that. But <laughs> what do I know? But he goes out there, and I think it was family, friends, like loved ones he spends time with. And I'm sure that's all he was thinking about was not letting them down. And so that, that was like a, a rare moment of humanity. I think that's Joshua letting you know, like, hey, this stuff is so hard for me to do because I don't want to do it. But the money's so nice. And that's what, that, that will be my abiding memory, was watching him, how quickly he just jumped out that ring. And I was like, wow, he really doesn't want to be in there. So to summarize, if I'm Anthony Joshua today, and I'm definitely swerving that IFL live show because it's not worth my time, my question is, do I trust my power or do I understand that they gave me a soft opponent so I was allowed to do that? Joshua's no closer to building his confidence back up for that very reason. He doesn't know if it's him or if it's a machine. And that's, that's a sad place to be as an elite athlete when you can't back your skill set, you can't back your talent, and you don't have teammates to lean on in boxing. But we move on to Wilder. And like I said, the comparisons will start. You know, after we got past that first round, you know, the fans were like, well, Wilder's won that psychological victory 1 0. Once it got past the sixth, there wasn't a debate. But the camps will argue. I just say, look, don't form a camp, right? If these two fight, let's just appreciate it for what it is. A big fight between two guys who nominally have the power to wipe each other out. Like this is, this is like nuclear war between the United States and Russia. So let, let, let's hope for a good fight. I don't want to take too many sides. I, you know, I just want that fight to happen. Like I said, I don't see it happening in Jan. I think Wilder will need a, a fight to, to see where he's at. 
um, the Hellenius fight was cool, but that only lasted around. And then I also think, like I said, Ramadan will become a problem as well. So if they can't get it done before Ramadan, then you're looking at May. So I'm just going to blitz through the rest of the card um, because none of it was compelling enough. Well, not even the rest of the card, just the bits I watched. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was out for a large chunk of Saturday, so I only came back to see the big boys have a scrap. Uh, Johnny Fisher versus Harry Armstrong. I thought Harry Armstrong was doing a lot of the right things early on. Um, I know, you know, he's been connected with Tony Pill and Don Charles for a while. So you, you weren't going to see Harry Armstrong go for a stoppage, which is a shame, by the way, because I think Johnny Fisher could have benefited from that. And the longer he let Johnny build up confidence, like Harry should have set about him. Johnny didn't look like he wanted to do the, the full 10. Didn't look like he wanted to deal with that pressure. I'm surprised that Harry Armstrong didn't jump on him because Harry had the chin. And it's a lesson, I guess, for all of these guys on the way up. If you're trying to tire out a prospect, you've got to be going to the body from round one. That's when you start to tire them out. Fisher was given so much time to, to reflect and to recharge. If we didn't learn much from Johnny Fisher. We learned that he's got a better engine than maybe we thought he would have. And it'll be interesting to see what happens when you put him in with guys like Solly Dakers, who, who can box and have got a bit of heft behind their punches. But just from a technical perspective, not really sold on Johnny Fisher. Now I can see where Dillian got his bad habits from. It's definitely from the Tibbs guys. Because I think in their heads they believe they're teaching guys to be slick movers and groovers and all this sort of stuff. But it doesn't look great. It, for, to me, that doesn't. It looks pretty limited. Once someone can read the right hand, it generally falls apart. And like Harry Armstrong's not the the greatest of heavyweights. Like I think Jamie TKV would would have a field day with Johnny Fisher because Jamie is stronger than Johnny, and Jamie would walk him down. And that's why you won't see that fight happen anytime soon. Anyone with a chin that can walk down Johnny Fisher will give him nightmares. And then if they've got a boxing brain on top of that, it's a huge problem. But I like Johnny Fisher. I like the, the character that he is. I'm not sold on the whole Bosch thing. I think it's a bit stupid. I'm like, mate, you went to Exeter University to read history. You are as conventional as it comes. You should really be a senior consultant at Deloitte. So don't give me all this Bosch stuff, this fake manufactured stuff. Your old man talking about he knew the Essex boys. Oh, I was in a pub with Pat Tate, whatever. Like all that sort of stuff, like the, cre the creation of these fictitious narratives is it's, it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But, you know, good luck to him. I'd like to see him now start fighting people that, you know, we, we recognize. Like, you can't have all those heavyweights in your stable like Solly Dakers and so on and so forth, and we're not getting any traction off that. So let's see what happens next. Um, Dempsey McKean versus Philip Hergovich. Whew. There's nothing bad to say about Dempsey McKean. Here's a guy who packed his bags, came to the UK to say, I want to better myself. So I'm going to applaud that. Like, I, that, that takes courage. Man. Australia is a, a place you can happily be comfortable in. But Dempsey McKean's a guy who... He'll never be elite at boxing, and I'm going to explain why. He's got the technical deficiencies you have when you haven't been boxing for, like, 30 years or whatever it is, right? He's got those. But what he hasn't got for his size is power. So he's a good technician, but you're six foot seven, mate. Like, you're not taking people out, and I don't think you could. There were times there as a southpaw, he didn't know what he should be doing against Hergovic. And yes, Hergovic is almost like a lifelong boxer, and Hergovic is far more experienced. But you're a southpaw, like, you've got to master your own style. It didn't look like he'd mastered his style. So... You know, to hear Darren Barker say, yeah, he's just going to do the standard Tony Sims thing, jab up top, backhand down below, lead hook up top. I'm like, you're paying someone 10% for that. Like, you could have figured that out yourself. There's a lot of times where I think Dempsey McKean looked like a novice in there. I mean, when I mean novice, I mean novice at that level. Like, Dempsey McKean could probably fight Huey Fury for a British, well, not a British, like a Commonwealth, and it will be competitive. But at that level above, 
nah, he's completely out of his depth. Completely out of his depth. And I don't know what you do with him now. Like, do you... Do you sort of manufacture an opportunity for him with one of your other heavyweights? I don't know what you do with him, but... The fact that it went that long with Philip Hergovic worries me about Hergovic. Because Hergovic has been the guy since he was sparring David Hay back in, was it 2013 or 14? And he's been the guy everyone talks about. He had this Croatian guy, um, Philip Hergovic. He'll win the Olympics and then he'll turn pro and he'll be a monster. Joe Joyce came out of nowhere. Tony Yoka came out of nowhere. Uh, Jalilov might have come out of nowhere as well back then. And Ditchko. There were a load of good heavyweights that seemed to come out of nowhere. And then he ended up with a bronze in 2016. And that's probably been his highlight ever since. He's flattered to deceive. Hergovic boxes with a handbrake up. Like, it's like he he's buying into this idea that he's a 12-round guy. And I'm like, you're not a 12-round guy. And that's not what made you famous. You've got to take people out. Like, when, when, when you've got his attributes, you should be taking guys out. But one thing I do actually want to say, Dempsey McKean is the only guy I genuinely believe doesn't lie about his height because he looked huge. They say, like, Hergovic is 6'6". McKean looked like he's 6'7", 6'8", legitimately, and he towered over Hergovic. You know? And I know, like, my mate Simon, he thinks highly of Hergovic. I never have done because I subscribe to this idea that if you could do it, you would have already done it. And I said the same thing about Anthony Joshua. I said, if he could do it, he'd have already done it. In terms of being that, that real savage ice man, he would have already done it. Because your opponents back then were easier than they are now. Wilder was icing people when he was 10-0. He was icing people when he was 20-0. He was icing people when he was 40-0. Because he was doing it from early. Hergovic, this is the Hergovic we're always going to have. And when he jumps in with someone like Gilles Zhang again, he will get battered again. If he jumps in with a Joe Joyce, he will get battered again because he's not a great counterpuncher. He's not great at going backwards. Like most heavyweights, he's not. And he's not physically imposing. Like McKean was able to, to hold his own physically up until he got, he got rocked. So in Hergovic's position, I'd almost be thinking like a smaller man. I just be all right. I've just got to be relentless in my attack. Can he do that? The guy's training with Ronnie Shields and Dr. Pedro Diaz. Um, I always look at the guys that Pedro Diaz works with. There are a lot of people who are either suspected drug cheats or former drug cheats. Always find that weird. But he's working with Ronnie Shields. Like I, I'm a big fan of Ronnie Shields as a trainer. I think his record speaks for itself. I just don't think you could have two more opposite people. No wonder you can't make your mind about who you are in the ring. So I'm not... Yeah, I don't know what you do with Hergovic. Usyk would play with Hergovic. Um, it's not even worth it. He better hope that Dubois pulls off the lucky upset and then he gets to fight next. Because that's his only hope. He doesn't want to fight Usyk. Because if he struggled that much with the southpaw, and I don't know if you noticed, the number of times Hergovic was throwing his backhand but his legs were all twisted up, and so he couldn't even let it go properly. Like, he couldn't get his feet right. Like, he, he, he had footwork like Chisora, but Chisora's 39, and it's probably got a degree of neurological damage. Hergovic shouldn't have that. So that's a, that's, a, that's a worry for me. But I don't know what you do if you're Hergovic now, because, I mean, when are you going to fight? Next year? At the earliest? So who do you have before you fight Usyk? Who's going to prepare you? I have no idea, but Dempsey McKean is not it. Whatever anyone tells you, Dempsey McKean is not it. And now Chisora versus Gerald Washington. What a waste of time of a fight. I just... There are bits of Derek I love. I think Derek is brilliant at promoting a fight. I think he's been brilliant at cultivating this character. Like he, He's rejuvenated his career as this kind of... He's like boxing's version of Randy Orton, isn't he? He's not a good guy. He's not a bad guy. He's just who he is. And people are drawn to that. It's compelling. And the thing with Derek is, you know he's always going to try. And then he fought Gerald Washington. Now, I, I tweeted this during the fight and I said, 
I don't know if you want to be coached by Malik Scott because Malik Scott just teaches you to box like Malik Scott. And that didn't give Malik Scott a great career. Gave him a solid career, but not a great career. Because Malik Scott isn't a guy who had the tools to take people out. And so Gerald Washington didn't have the tactics to take Derek Chisora out. He was just trying to get through. That was it. 41 years old, decent payday against Chisora. Chisora's just trying to keep this gravy train running. Um, people have told me that it's there are issues with you know his finances. That's why he has to keep fighting. Um, you know he's paranoid that at some point he's going to have nothing because he, he owes entities cash. So maybe that's the case. I don't know. But people are saying that's the reason he'll keep fighting. He's going to do a Roy Jones Jr. Until he squeezes every last drop out of that lemon, he's going to keep going. I'm like, how long is it till this guy's eating out of the straw? Because yeah. this, this is unrelated to, to anything else. But there's only so long you can keep taking the supplements and the substances and the compounds before your body says, I can't do anything with this stuff anymore. And so there's going to be a point when it all just goes to, to shit, basically, on him. And it will be rough to see. We're not far off that. We're one or two fights off that. I think the consensus in boxing is people would like to see Derek retire. Derek will not retire as long as there's six-figure fees to be made. He won't retire. And you almost have to say, why would he? But I can, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not edifying. I'd like to see Washington retire as well. He has nothing left. But I have a feeling... Now that they've seen that version of Washington, they'll feed him to some of their matchroom prospects. Why wouldn't you build their names up? Um, so I think that's a summary. That's enough of a summary. And hopefully you guys will let me now go off and do some coaching and get a decent lunch and then go about my Sunday. And hopefully you guys enjoy this. As always, if you do, put the likes up on Twitter, likes up on Instagram, share it. You know, let's, let's position ourselves as the, the voice of the real boxing fan. Take care.